this morning we're going to continue our journey through Acts, or rather Paul's journey through Acts. And uh, just as Richard promised last week, today's going to be a train wreck. Sorry, not train wreck, a shipwreck. I meant shipwreck. I'd better move on. Um, so last week, Richard took us through Acts 26, where we heard about how Paul was judged by Festus and Agrippa, who could find absolutely nothing at fault with Paul or his arguments. But because Paul had already appealed to Caesar for his defense, they had no choice but to send him on to Rome to put his case before the emperor. So to pick up where Richard left off last week, I'd like you to turn to the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah. Um, as you can hear, I've had a very cold, heavy cold for the last couple of weeks. So um, I've got a couple of glamorous assistants to help me uh, with, with my reading. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of the Amity, saying, Arise and go to Nivea, the great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarnish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a shift going to Tarnish. He paid for the fare and went down to it. Go with him to Tarnish, he said, away to the presence of the Lord. But the Lord held the great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to God, And they hailed the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps God will give us a thought to us so we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let's cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come to us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us who account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? The sea may be quiet down for us. So the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. I know it because of me the great tempest has come to you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish this man's, because of this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done it pleased to please you. They picked up Jonah and held him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Thanks, John. So, I'm sure we're all familiar with that story of Jonah. 
God tells him to go and preach repentance to the Gentiles in Nineveh. Jonah doesn't fancy this at all. So he gets on board a ship going completely the opposite direction. It's disobedient. He runs away from God's will. We find out later on in the book that Jonah thinks these Gentiles don't deserve to hear the word of God. And I'm sure there was an element of fear for Jonah as well. Nineveh would have been a very different culture to Israel. The book tells us that their wickedness rose up before the Lord. They worshipped other gods. They were a cruel and wicked people. But the Lord wanted to give them a chance to repent, and Jonah wasn't having it. So the Lord sent a storm, and when the men on the ship find out that Jonah's responsible, they realise that they have no choice but to throw him overboard, else they would all lose their lives. They don't want to do it. They're terrified of the Lord. But Jonah himself tells them it's the only way they'll survive. So Jonah's thrown overboard, the storm calms down, and everyone's safe on board the ship. And Jonah, well, I'm sure everyone knows the rest of the story. Jonah's rescued from drowning by being swallowed by a big fish. He stays in the fish for three days and three nights, and is then vomited alive onto dry land. But as Columbo would say, there's just one more thing. What on earth has any of this got to do with Paul and the book of Acts? Well, one of the things that's always fascinated me is the echoes of the Old Testament that we find in the New Testament. For example, the parable of the prodigal son is recognised by many as a retelling of the story of Jacob and Esau. Many of the healing miracles documented in Luke's Gospel echo healing stories in the Old Testament, particularly those of Elijah and Elisha. But the passage in Acts that we're looking at today is slightly different. It's not so much an echo as a mirror image of the story of Jonah. So we're going to read Acts 27 now. But as we go through it, I want you to keep Jonah in mind and think about what happened to Jonah as we see what happens with Paul. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius and embarking in a ship of... Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we sailed across the open sea, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snedas. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther... We sailed under the ice of the Lee of Crete, off Salome. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassia. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. 
but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbour was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbour of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cowder, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergrip the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart from there, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord, of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic, surrounding, sounding, and found twenty fathoms, a little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. As the sailors were taken to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea, under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship, ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. 
Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But, striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Brilliant. Thanks, Mary. So, in summary, we have another storm at sea with the presence of a man of God influencing the safety of everyone on board. There's a lot of similarities, but also a lot of differences between Jonah's boat trip and Paul's. So let's have a look at some of those today. Well, the text tells us that this all took place around the time of the fast, which would have been the Yom Kippur fast to honour the Day of Atonement. This is when Jews remember and celebrate God's judgment and mercy. Interestingly, the entire book of Jonah is recited at the Yom Kippur service. Both Jonah and Paul were called by the Lord to preach God's word to Gentiles. There were different words. For Jonah, it was a warning of Nineveh's impending destruction due to their great wickedness. For Paul, it was a word of good news, a word of hope, the news of freedom in Christ that was now available to the Gentiles. But all the same, they were both instructed to carry the word of the Lord to Gentiles. Gentiles in Nineveh for Jonah, Gentiles in Europe for Paul. But the reaction of both men to this was very different. Jonah didn't want to preach repentance to Nineveh. He didn't want them to be recipients of God's mercy. He wanted them destroyed. And maybe some of us could relate to this. Maybe for us it would be like God asking us to go to an ISIS or an Al-Qaeda camp and sharing the gospel. And I'm sure there was an element of fear as well. I don't think for a second that a city of wickedness like Nineveh would have been a safe place to go and preach repentance. As well as disliking Nineveh for their wickedness, I'm sure Jonah would have been at least a bit scared as well. But it would have been no different for Paul. The Jews hated the Roman Empire. The... the the Roman Empire exploited Israel. Everybody from top to bottom was exploited by heavy taxation. The Romans had put their own puppet leaders in charge of the country. Yes, Israel was unique in the Roman Empire at that time, in that they, they were free to practice that, their own religion. But that freedom came at a cost, extreme oppression. Paul was fairly unique in that he was a Roman citizen as well as being a Jew. It's But in spite of that, it's clear that he was zealous for the nation of Israel and the purity of the Jewish faith, as demonstrated by his persecution of the church before his conversion. But as we've heard over the last few weeks, that all changed after his encounter with Christ. Well, there's another big difference between Paul and Jonah. Although he lived in the time before Jesus, Jonah clearly believes in God. He hears God and understands He believes that what God has called him to do is the genuine word of God. But he runs away. 
he gets on a boat going in completely the opposite direction. Paul, on the other hand, grasps his, missions with, his mission with both hands. He has little to no regard to his own safety. And as he writes in his letter to the Philippians, his desire is to die and be with Christ, but to live in the flesh means fruitful labor. He's not afraid. He's obedient. Jonah's attitude is very different. He has an attitude of, forget it, I'm out of here. You know, even though he hears God and he understands the word of God, he legs it in the opposite direction. So a question this morning is, where are you on that spectrum? Are you a Jonah or are you a Paul? Are you obedient to the word of God? Or do you hear it or read it and then run the other way? I think probably lots of us are not as directly rebellious as Jonah, running away in the opposite direction. But maybe sometimes we pretend we didn't hear the word of God. Maybe we're challenged by a word of God, but we feel it's not the right time. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on right now. I'll get onto that when I have some free time. Well, I have to tell you, if you're challenged by a word, the time to grasp that word and apply it to your life is not next month when you've got some free time. The time is now. Whether it's something you feel in your heart during worship or something you hear in a sermon. Whether it's, whether it's a prophecy someone has given you or something you've read in the Bible that stirred you. It's not for three weeks' time when you've got a weekend free. It's for right now. It's not for after Christmas when you finish that big project. The Lord doesn't give you a word to put in your pocket until you've got some free time. The time is now. Jumping on a ship to Tarshish isn't the only way to be disobedient. Maybe it's a different issue for you. Maybe you don't believe that word. Maybe it seems so unlike what you think your skills or giftings are. It's just not possible that it's genuine. Well, it's absolutely correct to pray over a word you've received. It's right to talk it over with someone you trust. But don't just discard that word because it seems unlikely. The Lord does the most amazing things through unlikely people. By nature, and left to our own devices, we tend to be disobedient. As a result of the fall, human nature is to rebel against God's will. And we see that all the way through the Old Testament. But we don't have to be that way. We've been given a new spirit who sets us free from that rebellion. If we live by that spirit, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, it, he lives in us and leads us in righteousness, not disobedience. Let's keep being filled with the Holy Spirit and keep living by the Holy Spirit. Because faith without obedience isn't real faith. Another thing that strikes me about both stories, Jonah's and Paul's, is that their actions aren't just influencing their own lives, but also the lives of others. In Jonah's case, the attitude of the other men on the boat is fascinating, and in direct contrast to Jonah's. Reluctantly, the sailors realise the necessity of heaving Jonah overboard, but cry out to the Lord first, and then offer sacrifices and make vows. These are not even Hebrews, but their obedience and submission to God is putting Jonah to shame. Jonah's actions in telling the sailors that they must throw him overboard and why resulted in them being saved from the storm. And that's before we get to the people of Nineveh, a city of 120,000 people who repented on hearing God's word when, event when Jonah eventually got his act together. 
For Paul, he was clearly responsible for the people on the boat. He was visited by an angel who told him that God had granted safety to everyone sailing with him. And the importance of this is reinforced when he prevents the sailors from slipping away from the boat. He tells the soldiers in verse 31, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. This is quite the opposite of poor Jonah, who tells his crew, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault this great storm has come upon you. Well, maybe being thrown overboard and eaten by a fish is just the price of disobedience. Who knows? But what about us? Who's on board our ship? For most of us, I guess it's not an actual ship. But how do our words and actions influence the faith of others? How does it affect our colleagues at work? How does it affect our family? How does it affect our friends and neighbours? In both the passages today, the men of God weren't in church or the synagogue when the Lord told them what they needed to do. But they were both tuned into God's word, even during a storm at sea. It wasn't a Sunday morning after half an hour of worship and a 25-minute sermon on the book of Acts. We know less about Jonah, but we certainly know that Paul was constantly tuned into God and listening to know what the Lord wanted him to do next, both for himself and those around him. And We need to be the same. Maybe you think faith is a personal thing, that it has no influence on those around you. And I guess it can be, if that's what you want it to be. But God wants more from us. God wants to shine through us to influence other people. Even though he was disobedient and a bit rubbish, Jonah's presence on the ship resulted in the sailors making vows and offering sacrifices to the Lord. Paul's positive influence on the Roman soldiers made sure that everyone was saved from the storm at sea. But how do we do that? How do we get such a closeness to God that his presence shines through us? How can we be constantly tuned into what God is telling us? Well, I think it's mainly practice. We need to make sure we're spending time with the Lord. We need to make sure we're always listening to his voice. We need to make sure we're filled with the Holy Spirit, being aware of him prompting us, nudging us towards God's will. We need to read our Bibles and pray through the week. We need our worship to be every day, as Daniel said this morning, not just on a Sunday morning. Because if we're only tuned into God on a Sunday morning, that's the only time we'll hear God. Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't tell us to sit in a dusty old building on a Sunday morning and wait for disciples to come to us. He told us to go and make disciples. And that's hard, it's a bit scary. But that's why we need to be switched on to God's voice all the time to help us with that. All of this is a big challenge for me personally. I, I find it very easy to think of my own salvation, but forget that someone else's salvation might be dependent on me. I also find it really easy to just be a Sunday morning Christian. I have to work quite hard at remembering to pray through the week and draw closer to God when it's not Sunday morning. So believe me, I'm not giving you this challenge because I've got it in hand myself. I think it's a challenge for a lot of us, but it's a really, really important challenge. If you take nothing else away from this morning, I want you to think about this question. Who else is dependent on you for their spiritual safety? Who's on board your ship? Finally, of course, 
as we see from both Jonah and Paul's storm at sea, God is merciful. We know from the story of Jonah that he's rescued in a rather unconventional way by being swallowed by a fish. And when he repents, he's spat up onto the beach, safe and alive to continue his mission. God gives him a second chance. God doesn't wash his hands of Jonah and look for someone else who's more obedient. God is merciful. As far as we can tell, the sailors that Jonah is travelling with are not Hebrews. But God gives them an opportunity to submit to him, and they do. The raging sea becomes calm. God is merciful. And the city of Nineveh, they hear the word of the Lord through Jonah and they repent. God God spares them. God is merciful. In Paul's adventure this week, he sets off to Rome with a guard of Roman soldiers and a bunch of other prisoners. They change ships at Lycia and get on board another ship bound for initially, for bound for Italy. Initially, the sailors don't listen to Paul's words about the danger of a storm and set off anyway. Later, the sailors try to abandon the ship, leaving the soldiers and prisoners in danger. But again, everyone is saved, every last one of them. God is merciful. And just as God was merciful to them, God continues to be merciful to us. God is merciful to the worst of sinners. We might think of sinners as the people Angie works with in prison every day. People who've done really bad stuff. But sin isn't graded like that. It's not just the big stuff. It's the small stuff as well. A harsh word or an unkind comment. And not just, and it's, sin isn't just the stuff we've done. It's also the stuff we haven't done. When we've ignored someone in need. When we've neglected our spiritual duties. Paul tells us in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we receive God's mercy freely through the blood of Christ Jesus. So let's grab hold of the challenges from the message this morning. But let's hold above all that the knowledge of God's mercy. And know that he's with us and covers all our slips and stumbles with the blood of Jesus. Amen.